0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Rob, and welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. I'm Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis, as we are streaming live on Thursday, October 5th, 2023. And in this episode of Sox Machine Live, We're going to talk about the 2023 Major League Baseball postseason. We saw four sweeps in the wildcard round. That's the second time that's ever happened. And uh, we'll be talking about the division series, which matchups were most hyped for. And uh, Jerry Depoto, the Seattle Mariners general manager, has created a lot of conversation with his after-the-season press conference about his ultimate goal of trying to build a team that wins its games 54% of the time over a decade, rather than always building a team to chase a world championship. We're going to take a look into those numbers to see if a 54 winning percentage is actually high enough to meet some goals and uh, how the White Sox would love to be winning 54% of their games in the last decade. Uh, (laughs) It would be, Yeah, they're not even close to that. Let's not kid. But we will start with this episode, Jim, as the Chicago White Sox have made some additional coaching moves. They let Daryl Boston go, but they fired their hitting coach, Jose Castro. Now, this is an interesting one because we talked about it in a previous episode about these upcoming coaching changes, who could possibly be let go by the White Sox. And I thought you made a good point. Like, there's no way they're going to let the hitting coaches go, because they just brought them in last year. And not only did they fire Jose Castro, but they also reassigned Chris Johnson back to minor league coaching. So Jim, what do you make of the decision-making here by Chris Getz and Pedro Graffal?
2: Well, you know, it makes me wonder who hired them uh, given that, you know, there were some arranged marriages when it came to Charlie Montoyo and Pedro Graffal and Ethan Katz and Pedro Graffal. So it's entirely possible that Jose Castro is maybe more Rick Hans idea or Kenny Williams idea or, you know, some combination of both like and I enjoy one of the uh, byproducts of Chris gets being the single decision maker is that we no longer have to try to ascribe whose decision it was or who does whose decision might be. We can just say Chris gets and it's fine. Like even though I meant Rick Han to infer that Kenny Williams might be responsible and vice versa, because I just stopped caring after a while, you know, who is individually responsible because it didn't matter. But yeah, that's what I I think that's kind of where I'm thinking is one, maybe Castro is hired uh, by Rick Hahn or more uh, of an arranged marriage. The other thing is maybe with Brian Bannister coming along is that like on the White Sox pitching side, there might be like Bannister setting the agenda up top and Ethan Katz more or less being second in charge even though he's a major league pitching coach, I wonder if they're going to try a similar thing on the hitting side to where they try to solve this plate discipline, you know, issue once and for all up and down the chain and say, like, we need uh, a whole organization wide approach and we can't just, you know, try to piece it together with individual instructors in the minor leagues and then a hitting coach up top hired separately. So I'm curious if they're going to do like a more comprehensive hitting approach that uh, maybe Castro and Johnson weren't suited for uh, the one thing I'll note is that like Mike Tozar is still around uh, Eddie Rodriguez is still around like the former Royals who Griffo knew and worked with, like they're still here. So that that's why I thought maybe Castro might've been somebody else's idea. Hmm.
1: Well, who could be like that director of hitting is that Josh Barfield or is that someone else that's not been hired yet? Or we haven't heard who's been hired.
2: Or, like, they want to hire a hitting. Maybe it's, like, it's not a Brian Bannister type who's the director of hitting, but at least, like, somebody who's more in line with, like, instructing hitting like for various levels of hitters, especially like say if they're going to be counting on minor league hitters coming up, like they don't want another Oscar Colas coming up or Lenin Sosa coming up and just swinging at everything, losing the ability to to sort balls from strikes at the major league level. Like maybe if they are going to be taking 2024 as a step back and thinking more along the lines of 2025 or later, maybe it's not so much trying to get results out of the guys who are already here, but more along the lines of trying to get somebody who, Who has experience or patience what have you with working with um hitters of varying experiences and also instructing other coaches down the chain so that maybe hitters who show up in chicago are something closer to a finished product
1: yeah we got some good comments here Uh, sean bring back greg walker uh, I remember those conversations back in the day. Yep. Uh, a- as in rec, uh, Andy Barquette, who is the roving hitting instructor in the minor league operations for the White Sox, should he update his resume? Not sure yet. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we we haven't heard, and uh, this is also a good point by Wayne. We're still waiting for Josh Barfield, as he mentioned that the White Sox need to hire a farm director still to replace Chris Getz. I more on Chris Getz and who he would want to hire. Uh, to replace himself within the organization, but yeah, we're still waiting to see. And uh, who gets is going to hire to replace himself as the farm director for the Chicago White Sox. But it, it is interesting because, like, to your point, like, was this a Pedro Grafal hire? I, I thought he knew Jose Castro well, but I mean, if you're going to fire your, your hitting coaches or reassign them again, this is the graphic we brought this up at a cup in a previous episode the team OPS plus is the lowest it's been in a decade and the lowest it's been since 1986. So when you look at this graph, even if they've been on the job for a year, I could understand being like, this is such a terrible and poor performance that we need new people to come in to fix this, but it's only been a year. I mean, is that enough time for a hitting coach? I don't know. Maybe there's more to this story, Jim, but I am a bit surprised that they did fire Jose Castro. And here we go. This is going to be the third straight season that the white Sox will have a new hitting coach. Uh,
2: so much for the stability that uh, Chris Getz really wanted for his players. When he said that, you know, that was the reason he had to uh, stick with Pedro Griffal. So something to think about in terms of uh, changing all the coaches around him, changing the way things are done, but like Griffal is going to be the, the rock of this organization and, yeah, I think it's probably more a matter of like Reinsdorf doesn't want to pay two managers at the same time. He already did that before with La Russa and Griffo. So maybe one more year and then he'll be willing to cut bait, especially like if, yeah, if it's a case of Griffo looking just as clueless and unable to relate to the public and manage veterans as he was last year.
1: We were hoping that the White Sox would have more official announcements as far as with these coaching changes, perhaps those that they're going to be reining in. Uh, we do not have that information yet. We're waiting for the White Sox to announce it. But so far, they're going to need a new first base coach. They're going to need new hitting coaches for next year. They're going to need a new bullpen coach as well. But it does sound like from reporting, especially from the Chicago Times and through their sources... That Ethan Katz, the pitching coach of the Chicago White Sox, appears to be staying on as the pitching coach for the time being. Now, that's the White Sox news. Let's talk about the 2023 Major League Baseball postseason so far. And the wild card round is over. I was a bit concerned with the timing of this episode, Jim, that we, we would be recording uh, while the playoff games would be happening. And uh, let's take a look at how we did in the wild card round with their picks. And uh, we both went two for four. So Jim, you aced the National League, man. Mm-hmm. Missed on the American League.
2: <laughs> yeah, so much for my World Series pick. Uh yeah, I should have uh, uh you know, followed the Monty Hall problem and just changed my answer from the Blue Jays once the postseason arrived. But there we go.
1: Yeah, the American League teams struggled. The Blue Jays only scored one run in two games. And the Tampa Bay Rays only scored one run in two games. So thank you, Texas Rangers for making me look smart. I got one in the American league. I picked the Milwaukee Brewers and the Brewers, their strategy of let's just score all of our runs in the first inning. Uh, did not pay off. Uh, the white they Sox lose. Kinda
2: tried that. Right? <laughs> yes, they earlier, <laughs> <earlier>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, they did. And yeah, look how that worked out for the white Sox and the Philadelphia Phillies. They look strong. They look really strong. And, we're running the Sox Machine Pick'em Challenge on the website. We have many people who got three right. Nobody got four. There are many submissions with zero right. Uh, so we have nobody, <laughs> nobody aced the first round. Nobody aced the wild card round in the pick'em. Uh, many have zeroed out uh, in the pick'em and the wild card round, but lots of three. So good job, everybody, if you're seeing your username right now. And uh, we'll keep track of that going into the division series. And, you know, with the division series, Jim, I think there's two really interesting matchups in both the American and National League. And I think the one that everyone is excited about, and I'm hoping it meets the hype, is the Atlanta Braves and Philadelphia Phillies again. Mm-hmm. That was a shocker last year. And it just speaking of shell sh- uh, being a shocker of a result, it seemed like Atlanta last year, especially those games at Philadelphia, were shell shocked. And I, when you watch the games against the Marlins, I mean, Bryson Stott's grand slam obviously knocked the wind out of the Miami Marlins. But that crowd has been a huge difference maker in the last couple of postseasons here. And here we go again, the Atlanta Braves have home field advantage, but I feel like if they stumble at home in one of those first two games in games one or two, and it's a tied series going to Philadelphia, I wonder if it's going to be deja vu again between the Phillies and Braves in which man, nobody wants to go to Philadelphia in the postseason because that home field advantage is serious.
2: Well, I think the Braves are trying to adjust for that by saying like they want to maintain their sharpness. They want to open practices to the public like they don't want to be siloed off. They were not ready or maybe just a little bit resting on their laurels from winning the World Series the year before, and they just seem like they were not prepared for the toughness of the Phillies or just the environment. So it does seem like they have a healthy respect for what they saw last year, and I think the Braves are probably as well-suited as any team to deal with it, but it could be a case where, you know, Citizens Bank Park's just insane. And one thing I was was curious about while watching the postseason is thinking, like, when it comes to, like, baseball crowds, like the Twins got a similar rave, especially since they broke their 18-game losing streak dating back to 2004, like how into it that crowd was. I wonder, like, what the disparities between like good crowds and bad crowds in baseball and if, like any other sport compares come postseason. Like college football, I think, is its own thing because of just how big those stadiums are and how like they can accommodate fans of every intensity instead of just corporate fans who can who can pay the most. But like you heard about it when the White Sox, the, the few times the White Sox have hosted postseason games and done something well that the you know, guaranteed right field basically shakes. You heard about it in, you know, Philly, you heard about it in uh, Minnesota. You heard about it uh, the conversely uh, because the Rays fans showed up late and it just kind of felt dead. You hear about it Yankee stadium sometimes with just how far away, like the, the real loyal fans are from the stadium. Whereas like the lower decks are all moted off for the, for the high spenders. But like, I'm, I'm really curious just how it compares. Cause I think basketball, uh, Arenas are all kind of standard. Hockey arenas are all kind of standard in terms of just, you know, they're all pretty much, you know, now that they're all like arenas that aren't like concrete and brick and wood, mm-hmm. now that they all have cushioned seats and everything like that. Like I imagine the sound is more or less regulated into something like a a pretty steady roar, but it seems like baseball, the way that writers have been talking about how different it is, seems like there is some room for fans to really differentiate what kind of environment teams are playing in and maybe make it tough, especially like if a team like the Phillies can get ahead early.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the Minnesota twins because we both, I thought the twins would win a playoff game. Neither of us had them winning that series against the Toronto blue Jays and they won it very low scoring. The twins only scored five runs in two games and in game one, Royce Lewis hit two homers. Uh, to really put his stamp onto this postseason early for Minnesota. So it's not like Minnesota's offense is like Texas, right? Texas put up 11 runs in two games on the Tampa Bay Rays. That's impressive. Scoring five in two games is not that impressive, but the Blue Jays only scoring one run. And it did seem like watching those two games in Minneapolis that the Blue Jays players themselves were getting impacted especially when the twins came up with big plays, like Carlos Correa single with the bases loaded. And I mentioned Royce Lewis hitting those two homers and just it sounded like a big explosion went off in fan enthusiasm at target field. I I'm with you. Like, I'm curious on how this is going to go because you know, that crowd's going to be wild in Minneapolis for the Houston Astros games. And there's a big storyline with that, with Carlos Correa facing his ex team And we'll see on how that goes. But I'm really hyped for Philadelphia and Atlanta. I'm also really hyped with Baltimore and Texas. Mm -hmm. Like the Rangers offense, legit. You saw it in those two games against Tampa. Tampa defensively made many mistakes. I was really surprised by that and just how sloppy defensively the Rays were, but you can't do that when you're facing an elite offense like the Texas Rangers and now we're getting two elite offenses against each other and the Orioles and Rangers and we talk about crowd. I can I have to imagine the crowd at Camden Yards is gonna be very energized, Jim. Like I I know that it's NFL season, it's football season now, and that dominates the T V ratings. But I really do hope more and more people watch the postseason baseball matchups here because I think it's just going to be great theater, especially in the games in Philadelphia and the games in Baltimore.
2: Especially with how fast the games are going. like That's, I think, another uh, element of these games that could be just affecting how loud they are is that the games are moving faster that uh, fans maybe aren't getting tired of clapping and, 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 you know, raising their energy level. It's, it's more of a sprint for them than a, uh, than a marathon in terms of like sustaining a uh, volume over four and a half hours, five hours. So that could be another thing where it's just coming through the TV, like, Oh, everybody is more urgent in terms of uh, just, trying to get in all that they can over this compressed time window. And like the other play that jumped out to me is Vlad Guerrero jr. Getting picked off second base, uh, taking the the bat out of Bo Bichette's hands. And like, that was another one where it just seemed like uh, once that happened, just the, the blue Jays were done because of just, it went from mild tension and a little bit of silence to just an explosion in the crowd. So like, that's a case of, to me of just this, the pitch clock, the pace of play initiatives just really, yeah, you know, we'll we'll see what happens over a four game series, sorry, seven game series, and and such versus a three game window where like is like pretty much, uh, um, you know, every game almost feels like an elimination game. But like, st- it stands the reason that there could be a case of just like this. Yeah, you know, everybody is worried not I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people worried. Like, would the pitch clock sap the drama? And like, well, if the crowds are louder and the crowds are more intense, like that'll make up for just the endless close ups of pitcher and hitter and manager and fans going like this. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that over the course of like a, a longer series and into the world series.
1: That's a great point, Jim. That is a great point. I think it was, was it baseball not boring or was it the Chris Rose show when he had Kyle Gibson on with the Baltimore Orioles and mm-hmm. Gibson? Cause he, they asked him the question about, are you cool with the pitch clock staying the same in the postseason? And I thought Kyle Gibson, he provided a very thoughtful answer in which initially he was against it because it's the postseason, you need to give guys time to breathe, but as he got more used to the pitch clock and he thought about it some more, no, he he changed his mind and he was against it because you should keep the same pace as you had in the regular season into the postseason, and. It may keep fans more energized and involved in the games. And so far in the wildcard round, we definitely have seen that in Minneapolis. And we have seen that in Philadelphia where we did not see that is Tampa Bay. I know you touched on it. This is a big discussion point. And I'm wondering if this is going to be used in future owners meetings, especially because the Rays right now are trying to get enough money here to build a new stadium, but that new stadium appears to be within walking distance of where the current one is in St. Petersburg. And there's a lot of people questioning whether or not St. Petersburg, Florida can actually support a major league baseball team after what transpired as far as attendance wise of the wild card, Jim, it's gotta be tough, man. I mean, it's three o'clock in the afternoon weekdays. I mean, not everyone can call off sick and I know everyone is old in Florida and (laughs) Listen, you, you can't fill a stadium with 30,000 senior citizens and be rattling cowbells like the some of the Rays fans do and try to drum up some noise. They're, they're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm wondering if these two games is going to be used by some of the MLB owners when the Rays ask for some money from the league to help build a new stadium are we sure that we still want to keep the Rays in St. Petersburg? Like I could see that discussion yeah. brought up.
2: Well, I guess there is some kind of road work that's going to be done to alleviate the jams going between the mainland or other side of the Bay and St. Petersburg. I saw some fans responding to, I think it was like J.J. Cooper, uh, Baseball America, like who's asking honest question, not trying to fan shame the Rays, but asking like, you know, what is the issue here? And somebody said it does take like 45 minutes, an hour when he lives like, you know, maybe just on the other side of the Bay, but he said like, there are some road improvements going to be made thing with road improvements is sometimes they think that, you know, things are going to improve. And then just, that just opens a road for more cars to get in. And then just the demand never alleviates just the supply of cars keeps going up. That keeps the jams coming. So there will be a little bit of uh reason to suspend judgment, to see if that does make a difference, or is it a case where like it makes a difference briefly, and then all of a sudden like, oh, it's easy to move, and then people, you know, the, the population reacts accordingly, and commute time slow again.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll see, it does bring up a good question, not the right kind of question, I think the Rays ownership wants to answer. Because uh, again, that that was a great team, but I get it, man. It, Tuesday, Wednesday, 3 o'clock. Tuesday, Wednesday, playoff games if the White Sox ever hosted them. Uh, here in, in Chicago at Bridgeport, that'd be tough. Again, not everyone can take the day off or get the day off uh, with PTO as we get near to the end of the calendar year. So it, it, it would be tough to, to fill up the stadium. So I – I get it. I I just hope that there's not too much shaming to Rays fans because even though they are on the smaller side, there is a big, diehard contingent of Rays fans. And with the division series, a look at the upcoming schedule. So it's going to all start on Saturday. We're going to get four Playoff games on Saturday, and it's going to start with Texas and Baltimore and then Minnesota and Houston. Those games will be the Fox Sports Network. And then the first games, the National League Division Series will be at night. Those will be on TBS with the Phillies and the Atlanta Braves, and then the Arizona Diamondbacks at the Los Angeles Dodgers. That should be a pretty interesting series, an intra-division series between those two, uh, both the National League ones. You got like the NL East bracket and the NL West bracket now for the remaining of the postseason. So should be a great one. Again, we'll have two playoff games on Sunday uh, towards the... Later in the evening and then Monday night, the National League will have the spotlight and then Tuesday night, the American League takes the spotlight again in game three as those games will be on Fox. So after a day of not having any baseball, we'll be having baseball coming up here shortly starting on Saturday with the division series, both in the American and National League. So really looking forward to that. Of course, we'll be recap, recapping on how those games go over the weekend on the next, upcoming Sox Machine podcast. But Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, the Seattle Mariners' journal manager, Jerry DiPoto, made some headlines with his postseason press conference. We're going to be talking about what he said and his philosophy next on Sox Machine Live.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply. Need to hire you need indeed.
1: The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It can be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use GameTime to purchase your tickets. GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOXMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game Time, last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. we go back to Socks Machine Live, and uh, Jerry DePoto made some headlines with his postseason press conference and this is what he had to say when asked about if this season was a success for the seattle mariners and jerry napota said quote if what you're doing is focusing year to year on what do we have to do to win the world series this year you might be one of the teams that's laying in the mud and can't get up for another decade so, we're actually doing the fan base a favor and asking for their patience to win the World Series while we continue to build a sustainably good roster. Now, that's what Jerry DePoto said. And boy, that made some Seattle Mariners fans angry because DePoto would add on that his goal over a decade is to have a winning percentage of 540. So, winning 54% of the games over a decade. Now, as two people who cover the Chicago White Sox, Jim, I would love for the White Sox to have that type of success. They're not even close to winning 54% of the games, but it has generated A lot of conversation, especially on social media and those that cover baseball on what are the true intentions of baseball general managers? Because isn't that their job? Isn't their job supposed to build a roster that could win a championship year in, year out? So using the POTO's goal of a 540 winning percentage, a few more visuals here for those that are watching on YouTube. For those that are listening to the audio version, version of the podcast, I'll give you the play by play. So the first graph that I'm bringing up is the American league central winning percentage. And this is from the 2012 to the 2023 season. And what the records, the winning percentages are for each place in the division, all the way from the division winner to last place, fifth place. And what that has been over the last 12 seasons, including the shortened 2020 season. And as you can see, for those that are watching with the DePoto goal, most of the time if you have a fifth a 540 winning percentage you're in second place in the American League Central. And when you look at the American League wild card since the wild card has expanded now we have 6 teams. When you look at the wild card more times than not you're not going to make the playoffs via the wild card with a 540 winning percentage which comes out to be about 88 wins. So for the American League Central, during from 2012 to 2023, the average wins by place for the division, the average division winner has won 94 games in the American League Central since 2012. Second place has been 85 wins. So, it, it, yeah, if you're averaging 87 to 88 wins per season, you're going to be finishing second place in the American League Central Third place for those interested is 79 wins. Fourth place is usually 68 wins. Last place, the average has been 63 wins in the American League Central. And continuing this, looking at the DePoto goal results, since 2014 to 2023, so the last 10 seasons, if Jerry DePoto was a GM and he was able to achieve this consistent winning percentage of winning 54% of the time, would have won the American League Central this year over the Minnesota Twins by a game. And would have made the postseason in 2022. And would have made the postseason from 2014 through 2017. But you would have missed the postseason four straight years from 2018 to 2021. And many teams outside of the White Sox would probably fire you uh, as general manager if you missed the postseason four straight times if that was the expectation from ownership. So, from a White Sox perspective, when I'm looking at this chart of like the last 10 years and being able to say, wow, if the White Sox had a 540 winning percentage, Jim, they would have made the playoffs with this format six years. Like out of the next 10 years, the White Sox would make the playoffs six of those years. We would take that at a heartbeat, Jim, mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. So, I get what Jerry DePoto is saying, but from a Seattle Mariners fan base perspective, that's just so hungry for postseason success, and for a lot of fan bases around Major League Baseball, think like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Braves that have had this type of sustained success or better, scratching their head and being like 540 winning percentage, that's not good enough. Like, what do you make of what Jerry DePoto said? And is this applicable? And do you think this is a shared sentiment amongst many of the MLB
2: GMs? I think it makes sense in the big picture. I think for like maybe an owner, that makes sense to say like you know a five forty winning percentage over ten years because like baseball is a zero sum game. So that means like if half the teams are winning at five forty clip, half the teams are winning at a four sixty clip, and so you'd rather be the five forty team than the four sixty team, and that's usually okay. The problem with a GM saying it or president of baseball operations is like. Running into the same problem that we ran into with Rick Han prioritizing flexibility and saying, like, well, we can't spend on Bryce Harper. We can't spend on much Machado because that would like ruin our financial flexibility. And we want to build a sustainable winner. And like Han didn't do that, didn't use his flexibility. You realize it's just excuse not to spend money. And sure enough, like they're not even around to be even halfway into Bryce Harper's contract. Like they were so worried about like, what it'd be like in year 10 and they didn't even get there because thankfully Reinsdorf pulled the plug on them. But that's, uh, you know, that's, I think part of it is just GM shouldn't look at that, at that big of a picture. Like GM shouldn't be worried about 10 year outlook for their product. They should be worried about like five years. Yeah. And depending on like when they get there, maybe five years is too much. Like if you are like, say Jerry Depoto's fired, and you're given the keys to the Mariners, you're not saying 540, you're saying like 580, 600. You're looking at that team saying, we're on the doorstep of being great. Let's make this team great and let's shoot for 600. Uh, And then like, say, if you're the White Sox, if you're taking over from Chris Getz, you're like 400 would be a dream, basically, Uh, then, you know, it might not make sense to try to get to the world series as fast as possible when you're dealing with that size of a mess, it might take two or three years to untangle. And then you'll see what the best road forward is and like when to push and what areas to push with. So like, that's, I think what the problem is. It makes sense from a certain perspective, but like I don't want my GM talking in 10 year increments because that's terrible for the fans. Like they shouldn't be so comfortable as to say, uh, you know, I, I need to wait until 2030 to really understand how my vision is going. Like the, the the results should be a lot sooner. Like Dave Dombrowski, like he's been, uh, you know, and we just saw in the comments here from Asneruck saying Dave Dombrowski, Dave Dombrowski nods with enthusiasm. Like, yeah, he pushes the gas pedal when he sees an opportunity and if it doesn't work, like he accepts his firing and moves on to the next team that really wants somebody like him to press on the gas pedal. And John Middleton happens to be, a an owner with the Phillies who doesn't really care about profit margins and is more worried about the big picture of like having some championships to hang his hat on and probably franchise value to go along with that to say like "Eh, you know if I turn a profit nobody cares and so like that's the perfect match of a team that has the you know talent on hand to go for it, a general manager who knows how to go for it and a forgiving owner who says like, if it doesn't go perfectly the first time, let's keep pushing. And sure enough, like even the you know, last couple of years firing Girardi and then, you know, uh, rallying from that and having the lackluster first half with Trey Turner not being great. And all of a sudden Trey Turner's invincible. And now they look like as tough as any team in the postseason right now. So I think that's what every fan of a contending team wants to see is when that opportunity is there, push for the world series uh and and nobody's gonna be thanking jerry depoto for worrying about the team's state in 2029 because of chances he didn't take with a perfectly good roster uh that somebody like cal rally wants additions to uh in order to try to strengthen team against very venerable opponents in the american league and even in their own division with the rangers doing that push with mm-hmm. premium talent so yeah i mean like it seemed more of a speech to the owners and the fans, but to say like, you know, fans should be thanking me, uh, is just very tone deaf. And if you're DePoto and you've been probably more good than bad for the franchise, although he makes so many trades, it's hard to know. Like if (laughs) he was like a little less active, whether like the team would have come together sooner that like, you know, maybe, um, yeah, he'd be in okay standing. If he said, if he just did some bland, uh, you know fan-sided speak and say you yeah, know we're gonna you know make additions and you know we want to make sure that we don't uh you know ruin our core but like we you know if we find opportunity we'll push and everybody would have shrugged off and realized he said nothing but to have that kind of you know that's i think uh, where han started to lose people is when like the smugness in the smarm turned up in uh in place of actual accomplishments, Pedro Grifol, same thing. Like when he was getting smarmy and like, what have, what have you done? And I think Depoto, like you know, he's he hasn't accomplished enough to get real smug and entitled with that fan base that just wants to see more from that ownership group.
1: Yeah, I mean, they missed the postseason. Yeah. I mean, they've been to one postseason last twenty years. And Timmy, who's been watching along, thank you on the live stream. Great comment. Apoto won a 54% winning percentage over 10 years. Given what they've done over the past eight seasons, they'd be winning nearly 100 games next year and the year after to come close to that goal. I I think the timing is odd, but I, I enjoy the discourse. Like, as a general manager and even ownership, is a 540 winning percentage good enough? And even in the dismal American League Central it's really not a high enough bar. Like I feel like in the American league right now, the bar should be, we should build a team to win 90 games every year. And if we can win 90 games every single season, we're going to give us ourselves a chance of reaching the postseason, whether that's a division title. And as I already displayed as far as the visual for those watching the video, sometimes you win the division with 90 wins in the american league central more times than not you don't but you could get one of those three wild card Mm. spots now with the expanded postseason and getting into the postseason means postseason revenue and that helps with the bottom line so even if ownership like jerry reinstorf wants to finish in second place every year because he feels like he needs to continue dragging out a carrot uh, in front of the White Sox fan base when they're like waiting for a grandpa to go to retirement home and somebody else run the organization. Mm-hmm. When you got people like Reinstorf that want to aim for second place, I-, I think it's not 87 or 88 wins. And maybe I'm nitpicking here. It's not a 540 winning percentage here, Jerry, DePoto. It's more like a 550. <laughs> it's like a fifty-five and a half percent winning percentage. You, I think you got to try to win 90 games every year in the American League if you have serious aspirations of reaching the postseason every single year. And if you're one of those guys that's like, listen, the postseason is a crapshoot, Jim. Random things happen. Maybe my team in offensive juggernaut wins 99 games this year, but they score one run in two games. There's not much I could do as a GM at that point. Uh, I built a great team that won 99 games. They just didn't do anything in the postseason. Even if you still believe in that, you should, as a GM, you should still try to be making the postseason, and I think in the American League, ninety wins is the target.
2: Yeah, I, I thinking about like five hundred and forty over ten years. I think you know it makes a little bit of sense just because like it's hard to go like more than a standard deviation above five hundred and forty. Winning games like Baltimore had a 623 winning percentage at the very top of the American League. At the bottom, Oakland had a 309 winning percentage. Like, you can easily sink your winning percentage over a 10 year frame with one bad year or two bad years. It's really hard to like push it out of range of a bad year with like a great year. Like, you're basically talking like 80 points above a 540 winning percentage for like a year everybody would consider a massive success over like a 150 point drop for a year, everybody would consider like a, 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 an equal failure. So like, I get that. It's just a terrible rallying cry. Like nobody cares about winning percentage. Like, you know, everybody cares about wins and preferably round numbers. People want to say 90 wins, 95 wins, hundred wins and 95 is not round, but it's number of digits on most people's hands. people count in fives. Like, that's i think what people rally around and gravitate towards uh saying like 540 you don't see like fans going like 540 and then like <laughs> a two-game winning streak is just like okay we're back to 527 or whatever like it's just that's I, I think why it's so tone deaf is that it's using a metric for success nobody uses fans certainly don't use in uh they just everyday conversations about whether a team is doing what it should or not uh and that's why like it's just he's speaking the language nobody else is maybe the front office sees it maybe fellow general managers see it and it's very much like a party line for what seattle's owners want to say or what other gms want the measuring stick to be or at least you know gms of teams that are like worried about arbitrage and yeah uh, you know maximizing opportunities versus like you know shoving a window open or just, you know, brute forcing it the way that Dombrowski does. So that's why, like, it's so, it's so dumb. Like, it's just a dumb conversation because like, um, it, it just prioritizes what fans don't and, you know, unless it just helped him get like a two-year extension or something like that on his contract from, you know, maybe it makes sense personally, uh, for him, but like in terms of relating to the fan base, it absolutely doesn't.
1: No, and again, that Seattle fan base is hungry for more. They got a taste last year. They only got one home game, I believe, in the postseason, uh, despite winning the wild card, uh, which they won that in Toronto last year. Yeah, so they only had one. Win- they had. They only had one game in Seattle, and they got swept by the Houston Astros. They would like more postseason success. Yeah, a 540 winning percentage over the next decade for White Sox baseball would be wonderful. I think it would keep up interest in White Sox baseball a lot more than what we are starting to see in season numbers. You know, Major League Baseball raving about the best attendance in years uh, across teams. And then there's the White Sox, who averaged fewer than 4,000 fans per game. One of the biggest drops in Major League Baseball. Look at our local TV ratings, everyone. Except don't look at the White Sox local TV rating. They dropped 41%, which is a drastic change, by the way. And I think that will have mm-hmm. huge ramifications in the White Sox negotiations with uh, NBC Sports and uh, Xfinity on what happens after the uh, 2024 season. Because again, that's the last year, of the TV contract deal. So yeah, yeah I, I would love the this- White Sox to have that type of success, Jim. Mm-hmm. But if I'm a general manager, I think if I was talking to fans right now, I wouldn't mention a 540 winning percentage. I would say, listen, our goal every single year is to win 90 plus games, because that is a total that I believe can get us into the postseason to give us a chance to win a championship. And that's what we're going to build towards this year. We didn't hit that goal. And that's why we're sitting at home instead of in the postseason. And I think fans would be like, okay, yeah, I buy into your thinking. I'm still on your side. Find a way, Jerry, make some moves find a way to win 90 games next year and get us back into the postseason. But I I think you are right. No one is buying what the is trying to sell right now.
2: Yeah. 90 games is a a round number. Everybody appreciates 540 feels like um, math. They're doing like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) wait, hold on. Let me bring up the calculator here. Okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So like, there's that one question I had about the TV ratings or like a thought I had when reading about that, like they're drawing what 0.99, like less than a one in, you know, and, and obviously they're sharing a market with the uh, Cubs. And so like, they're not going to get like, even Kansas city got like a three rating or something like that. White Sox are right below one. So yeah, it might be rounding down to two now for Kansas city. But like, one thing I wondered is like with how many alternate broadcast pairings, the White Sox had, like whether it was Len Casper in the booth and Steve stone, or it was, uh you know, Len Casper by himself in the radio booth. Cause Darren Jackson was out or it was Mike Monaco. It just, yeah, they had all these kind of, random permutations and you know, seeing the White Sox drawing less than a one, like part of me wondered like, you know, with the contentious negotiations with Jason Benetti, uh, yeah. like in terms of like, this is gonna come up in terms of uh TV ratings and being like, you know, we need our broadcast to be there every day. Like part of me did feel like it feels cheap when it's like a fill in broadcaster on both sides. There's like a, uh, a a pairing you don't know. And it's like a team that's out of it. And there's just, it it feels Oakland A's-ish to me to have a a mismatched broadcast booth when they're not winning. And when the TV ratings reflect that, but I'm curious if they're going to draw this, Poorly, like if Benetti is, you know, his status is going to come up in terms of like, see, you weren't around for all these games, and this is why we drew 0.99, hurting us with the advertisers, and seeing where that goes from there.
1: Benetti would be like, the team lost 101 games, Brooks. Like, what do
2: you want me to do? Like- also, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you fired Kenny and Rick. I want my agent on this.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about that yeah what a shout out what a callback jim that's fantastic
2: yeah but part of me wonders like you know if benetti is leaving himself open to just do it being absent while the teams is bad and they'll just say like well you know if everybody can count on jason and steve being there uh we would have drawn you're costing us this amount of dollars because if we drew a 1.3 instead of a 0.9 uh imagine what we do so yeah i'm not looking forward to that but i'm curious whether we'll see that unfold
1: yeah. Again, we'll see it. White Sox entered the last year, their TV deal with NBC sports Chicago. It's also the last year on the current contracts for Jason, Spadetti and Steve stone entering 2024. And the conversations are very simple between Xfinity and the Chicago White Sox. Are you worth a hundred million dollars a year and looking at the ratings? Nope. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that's probably why in 2025, I think the White Sox and the Blackhawks and the Chicago bulls will move over to Stadium. Uh, as the new television provider. And then that's Jerry paying Jerry for media rights. And let's see on how weird that gets, but that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. It is Thursday. So if you are watching us, you can hop over to our friends from the 108 at youtube.com slash from the 108. You can go ahead and start watching their show as we wrap up here. And if you just discovered Sox Machine Live, you could follow us on social media, We're everywhere now on social media and I'll have to update this slide soon. We're at Socks Machine. You can follow me at Socks Machine underscore Josh. This is the first time you're watching a Socks Machine video. Please subscribe to our Socks Machine YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. And also you can listen to the audio version of this show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. And if you enjoy work, you can get more by signing up at our Patreon at patreon.com slash SocksMachine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, and they also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash SocksMachine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, your on for all of things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.